So, Dave, we're deep into the semester. How's it going? Great. You've been busy on Wednesday nights at 8 o'clock? Yep. Co-hosting Music Biz 101 and more with you. Who have our guests been? Indie artist and alum Lauren Marsh, PR guru George Dassinger, Rosie Lopez, president of Tommy Boy Entertainment, and Adam Kornfeld, Rod Stewart's booking agent. I miss them. Is there any way I can still hear their words of wisdom? Sure. Every show becomes a podcast that you can hear on our website, musicbiz101wp.com, or on the Stitcher mobile app. And it's all free. Who's coming up next? Grammy-winning producer Harry Wanger, Warner VP Dan Goldberg, Sean Rosenberg, the engagement director at Huge. Oh, that's big. (laughs) I get it. The guests keep getting better and better. Our listeners, too. That's Music Biz 101 and more every Every Wednesday Wednesday at 8 p.m. Only on 88.7 WPSC Brave New Radio. We're on the air, aren't we? Yeah, we're yeah. We are. Okay, hold on. It's the third week in a no, row. That's fine. I keep doing. Well, let me just uh, hold on. Really on there. This is Music Biz 101 and more, the only Music Biz 101 and more show ever to air on Brave New Radio WPSC 88.7 on your FM dial. Also, you may go to gobrave.org and stream it if you need to get out somewhere live. This is Allison McKenzie. The world is ours. This is our theme song because she won a contest earlier in the year, and we want you all to go to AllieMacMusic.com and listen to the song. We love you, Allie. Also, we want you to know that. This is uh, the place to be if you want to know anything about the music and entertainment industry for free. That is right. It is free advice. And you can always visit us on the web, musicbiz101wp.com. Go there, sign up for our newsletter every Sunday at 6 p.m. That is right, not 6 a.m., but in the p.m. time called 6 o'clock, you will get our newsletter every week. Jerry Lembo, who is our guest. Jerry, you get that, don't you? What? Sorry. Oh, That's right. Are we live? <laughs> we are. We are so live. Uh, before uh, we did go live, I did uh, mention to each of the three people in the studio with me to please not screw this up for me. Oh, I... Dave, I wish you had told me it was a clothing optional show. Oh, that's right. I should let you know that uh, I opted not to wear clothing. It's going to be one of those shows. Okay. <laughs> it's not started well for us. So I am your professor, David Kirk Philp. My steady and always reliable co-host, Dr. Esteban Marconi, of course, is on assignment again mm-hmm. this week. And so that is two weeks in a row in which we do not have Dr. Esteban Marconi. But may we give him a hand anyway. Dr. Woo! Esteban Marconi. Oh, he's so great. Oh, he's so great. But you have someone almost as good. We have somebody almost as good as Dr. Steve Marconi, and that's the guy who just spoke. His name is Philip Gorkowski, our producer. Philip (laughs) Gorkowski. Today's a a special show, not only for you, but for me as well. It's it's, uh, the last time we're going to be together on the air. Mm -hmm. That's it. I'm not, I'm not talking about it. I'm going directly into denial. It's been a little bit surreal today. Yeah. Because this has been a fixture uh, in, my, in my life. A fixture. A fixture. It has been surreal, and it's this been has surreal been a fixture. In my life. Because it sounded to me years. like this has been serial, and you have a fixture. Listen, but I'm lumping my throat right now. Cat? I'm choking up. I can't. Is this I can't where the this. Kathy Lee box of tissues comes from? <laughs> <in? laughs> they come right down, yeah. <laughs> No, we will, so. we will spend uh, the last half hour of the show talking about Philip Gorachowski. Right, I wouldn't expect and, anything. That's right, <laughs> how much he has meant to the show. But um, uh, th- th- we'll talk about that later. Then we also want to introduce, before we get to Jerry Lembo, our noted guest extraordinaire. We want to talk about the student co-host who we have tonight. His name is Danny Spadaro. Danny Spadaro! Thank you so much. 
If you have ever seen Grease 2, Danny looks like the guy who played the not John Travolta character. What was his name? Um, uh, Kaniki? Uh, can, no, no. Grease 2. Oh, Grease 2. He was also in uh, Dark Haired Fella. For those of you listening, you saw yeah, Grease right. 2, which starred Michelle Pfeiffer. Um, it was it was her love interest, and he looks just like you. And he had uh, he anyway. And Danny's the eye candy for this episode. That's <laughs> right. Although Danny is wearing clothing, so thank you, Danny. All right, so Danny, tell us about yourself. You were what? What is your major here at William Patterson University? Why are you here tonight? Uh, I'm a singer, songwriter, producer. I'm a senior at William Patterson University. My major is popular music studies. Um, it basically focuses on the music business, social media, songwriting, promotion, all stuff like that. Um, yeah, so right now with my career, I'm just doing everything I can. I'm a songwriter um, mainly, but I, you know, I perform out, I produce music, and I'm constantly collaborating with other artists. And uh, I have one more semester. I finish in December. Great. Uh, yeah, December 2015, you are out of here. Yes. Here being William Patterson the University. You're also a model, right? A model. <laughs> Are you? Because I, I see you um, on Instagram sometimes yeah. without a shirt. Um, I was on your without, Instagram account. And, and, you, and you have a, yeah. like a 13-pack going on 13? There. Wow. Yeah, yeah, he's got extra. You have, An you odd like, number. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, extra strength. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to do everything I can. I'm trying to stay open-minded. I'm trying to get into acting, modeling, really anything I could get my hands on. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's good. Okay. Are you single, Danny, for all the women? I am single. That's great. Okay. There's only one of you that beats. Get it? (laughs) We're killing it. We're killing it tonight. Okay. So we move on from Danny. By the way, again, Music Biz 101 and more, last live show of the year. We have uh, five more shows remaining. Next week, we're going to have Donna Eichmeyer from Live Nation, a pre-recorded show that uh, in which she was here on the campus of William Patterson, interviewed by Steve Leeds from SiriusXM. He's also... Uh, one of our adjunct professors, Donna, from La- uh, VP of Marketing at Live Nation. After that, Alyssa Pollock from iHeartMedia. Then uh, after that, Julie Greenwald, who is the president and COO of Atlantic Records. Leanne Callahan Longo, who is, uh, I think, sort of Beyonce's manager, but also she's the GM of her Parkwood Entertainment Company. Mm-hmm. And then on December, I'm sorry, July 1st, Tracy Jordan from Sirius XM Radio will be our last new show of the year. Then we're going to have eight best of episodes. And then September 2nd, Year of Our Lord 2015, we'll be back with Dr. Esteban Marconi. And we're going to have some more live stuff. And we'll have a new producer, but we're not going to talk about that right now because we're in denial. Yeah, I don't even know. Do you, do you guys have anybody? I don't even think you guys have anybody. We have nobody right nobody. now. But we're going to get somebody, <laughs> even if I have to pay Philip money. Okay, so uh, we mentioned go well, to the website. We got, we got that on on record, right? You guys all heard <laughs> that. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Lots of zeros in front of the one, by the way. In front of, get it? It's mm. not usually mm. it's after this before. Okay. Uh, if you have questions for our guest, who we are going to introduce shortly, uh, go to at musicbiz one hundred and one wp Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We're there, and also for past episodes, which are all equally awesome, go to Stitcher Radio, which is a mobile app that you can download on your Android. Or i uh, or what's a uh, iPhone device? Uh-huh. Yes, mm-hmm. um, it's called an iPhone. I- iOS, iOS device. iOS, your iOS, iOS device. operating system, mm-hmm. right? And you can uh, anyway go to Stitcher Radio Music Biz One Hundred and One and more. We've got some great interviews there, and we're going to have a great interview starting right now with our good friend Jerry Lembo. Jerry, yeah, Lembo, yeah. he's so great. Oh my God, Jerry Lembo, how could you get him? Oh my God, we just Jerry. got him. We got him because he's so great. Hey, Jerry Lembo, we are here with Jerry. Jerry Lembo is a music business consultant. And Jerry, it is very good to have... May we clap for you one more time? Uh, yes, you may. And uh, for, for those who are submitting questions, uh, 
They will be answered, providing you send me a gift card to uh, Gap for size 38 1969 jeans. <laughs> we got that. Yeah. Obviously, Jerry's headset. So, Jerry Lumbo! <laughs> okay. So, Jerry Lumbo, you are a music business consultant. When does somebody need a music business consultant, and what is a music business consultant? Uh, that's a good question. I've been trying to explain that to uh, people for many years. Uh, it, you know, I think it's just something, you know, you, you accrue collective years of collective experience in many facets of the business and one of the things uh, as much as I enjoyed the corporate life you were restricted to a title that was put on your card and I always approached the uh, music business from a big picture perspective I wanted to be involved and have uh, you know touch points in every aspect of it so that meant uh, understanding music publishing uh, management, publicity, uh, today, you know, more currently, the social media realm, uh, and not just be labeled as the, quote, radio guy, the promotion guy. So uh, you, you know, you broaden your uh, understanding of the business, you get involved in every aspect of a career, and, uh, and the only way to really, I guess, uh, you know, identify with that was to kind of use the terminology consultant. And um, and draw from what now is uh, almost four decades of uh, mm-hmm. experience, you know, forty years of experience. Wow! How how did you get your first gig in the music industry? Uh, and, did, did you, and we mentioned earlier yeah. uh, about the educational yeah. and how you love this show because. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, again, not to date myself, I, and I'm sure the mathematicians are out there already got the calculators out trying to figure <laughs> out how ancient I am. But, you know, when I went to school, there were no uh, music business curriculums. There were no broadcast facilities at a school. Uh, there really weren't any textbooks for that matter. Uh, so uh, our go-to was things uh, on television, the entertainment shows, the American Bandstand, Dick Clark, uh, the Sullivan Show. Uh, the the typical variety shows is where you kind of got a sense of where the music was coming from, the entertainment was coming from. And uh, because I lacked the musical skills, I don't sing, I don't play any instruments, and I've never written a song, I wanted to be on the other side of the fence and be the person, be theoretically the Dick Clark or the Ed Sullivan, be the person who introduced the talent and uh, and uh, worked with them and had the ability to hopefully one day promote them. And uh, so that was the approach that I took. And, uh, May I ask just a, sure. just a quick inter- interruption? Um, why did you never just pick up the guitar? I mean, you, you came up in the era of the Beatles or something, so yeah. why didn't you say, I want to be Ringo or John or Paul and just learn how to play the guitar? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it was sort of the fascination I had. It was the uh, – uh, I used to unscrew the bedpost on my bed, stand in front of the mirror, and basically just – it was the announcing thing. People seemed to always associate with the fact that I was willing to stand in front of the room mm-hmm. and do the introductions or be the MC, And so I had figured that was my role, you know, and, and I – just never, you know, took the musical side of things, and and the other thing too was when I saw gifted artists, it was very intimidating to me. It was like I can't do what they do, uh, and if I can't do it better, 
then I'd rather be on the representation side. So you were still passionate about music and you wanted to be in it. You wanted to yeah. be around it. Your new, your limitations, obviously, as a performer. Yeah. Right. But you said, I want to be part of it. I want to be behind the scenes and make something happen. Correct. And, uh, and I always took a leadership role, whether it was uh, anything that I was involved in. I always wanted to be either the president or the, the captain of the team or something like that. So I enjoyed something. There was a, I had an entrepreneurial spirit and a managerial side to me that uh, sort of dominated. And I felt that I could y- utilize that to, uh, to have this association with the entertainment business. And it filled an emotional void. For me, music was uh, something that uh, uh, I came from. You know, there were some difficulties in my family growing up and things like that. And music just played a very special part and kept uh, kept filling an emotional void for me. And I knew I was going to be associated with it in some way, some capacity. And there never really was a plan B. There was never any doubt that that's where I wanted to be. Um, and nothing, I would say nothing has changed since back then. I mean, you still have no. a whole generation of people who they're the Dannys out there yeah. <laughs> who want to be, you know, uh, you want to be on the stage behind the mic mm-hmm. singing your, 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 your work. And then there are people like like you who, who would love to introduce or be right. the person who gets Danny onto that yeah. stage. They're, they're, both those camps are still there. I, I, I was the go-to person for anything that, you know, if people wanted to know who was going to be on tour what music was, uh, you know, what was going to be the next musical trend, uh, you know, what the what song was number one on the countdown, things like that. It was always like, call Jerry, he'll know. So it was sort of that, again, that became the adoptive role that I took, and uh, and it continued. Even in my high school yearbook, it, you know, it says uh, aspirations, disc jockey. That was it. You know, it was, that's all I thought I was going to be. And uh, the music business kind of came along somewhat by accident when, even though I was a DJ at one point, I was doing some small market radio and I was a a club DJ back in the Saturday Night Fever days. Uh, Again, people kept coming to me with their music and said, it seems like everybody at radio knows who you are. Would you take my song to the radio, to the program director, and see if they would consider playing it? And, well, well, at that time, yeah. radio was uh, was the way you got the artist out. I mean, yeah. even now, it's it's almost the same. But yeah. whoever can give you spins, that yeah. was the yeah. and and so you went there. And again, my ulterior motive of going to the radio station was maybe they'll hear my voice and think, "Hey, this guy should be a DJ on our station." You know. Meanwhile, I went up there and and again, very credibly represented the music that I was bringing up to the music or program director. And um, built this trust with them, and they welcomed me on a regular basis. And I started to get records played, and I found out that promotion was an occupation, and they pe- they paid people to do that, which became quite you know it was quite startling to me at that point. Uh, fast forward a couple of years later, I wind up at Chrysalis Records, working Huey Lewis, Pat Benatar, Billy Idol, and then fast forward to Columbia Records for twelve years, where I wind up being a vice president of promotion. And winning, uh, I don't, you know, maybe twenty promotion awards. So going from not even knowing it was an occupation to being, uh, you know, labeled as one of the uh, better promotion people in the business. It was it, to this day I still pinch myself, and, <laughs> and and it's hard for me to put that down. It's like in a in a resume format and say, you know, like I'm responsible for this because I don't see it that way. It's the reverse to me. The artists are responsible for my success. That's how I look at it. And I feel it's a blessing and a gift and a privilege 
to represent the, the true talent that's out there. That's a great way to look at it, you know, because from their perspective, they're also looking at you. Like, uh, let's go to Huey Lewis in the News, who yeah. it's funny because you promoted when you were a chrysalis scene yeah. in Columbia, a lot of records that I grew up loving. You know, I was a big Pat Benatar, Huey Lewis yeah. fan. And you, without you getting something from, say, uh, Do You Believe in Love off a of picture this, 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 which I think was 82 <laughs> or something, you know, without you getting somebody regionally to play right. that, that doesn't break the band when in 83 when sports came out it was one of the right. biggest, biggest albums of the yeah. uh of the decade yeah um so yeah i, I understand that but if, if we go to your website which is yeah. jerry lembo entertainment.com correct there's well, that just lembo entertainment.com uh, oh lembo entertainment lembo l-e-m-b-o entertainment.com people should go there and check this out because there is a whole list yeah uh, there's a, a menu on that you can click on, and you can see all the different people you've worked with yeah. going back to the very early 80s all the way up to Yeah, and, and again, you know, when the phone would ring and it would be an artist on the other end saying, Jerry, what's your opinion? What do you think? Again, it was it still to this day is a pinch-me moment saying, like, I can you believe that they're asking me what I think? You know, and again, not being a musician, not being a vocalist, not being a songwriter, uh, you know, I just found it to be... Uh, uh, amazing, but again, what you do is, you know, again, you absorb all of the mechanisms in the business, so everything that's going on, and being able to go out on tour with these people, seeing what happens behind the scenes, doing uh, when when there were retail stores, doing in-store promotions, being able to communicate with the fans on a regular basis, the people that went to the concerts, the people who showed up at in-store signings. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and all those years as a nightclub DJ where you're interacting with a live audience every single night and seeing, you know, that feedback, which is coming from, you, you know, your presentation of the music was an education that I don't think you could put in a textbook. You know, it was something you had to experience. And then growing up and I brought some of the uh, programs of some of the concerts that I went to early on and uh, seeing some of the iconic uh, artists of the time, uh, pre-Jingle Balls, if you will. <laughs> you know, this is going back to the Murray the K days on 10 Well, you showed minutes. them to me, and I was, I was blown away. I mean, some really— um... You can take a peek and see some of the, uh, uh, some of the uh, rosters there. And, I mean, everybody from Marvin Gaye to Johnny Mathis, yeah. Otis Redding. Otis Redding, Sam Cooke. Marvelous uh, Ronettes. Temptations, Smokey Robinson the Miracles, Diana Ross and the Supremes. Uh, seeing all these people in their heyday, uh, today there's like one temptation. Right. There's one four top, you yep. know, there's one yep. top, there's one spinner. Um, but to have seen those original bands with those, and and, and again, this was the days before there were Pro Tools and, and all the crazy stuff that, you know, these people came out, they were, uh, you know, it was the Motown era, the presentation, the choreography, the vocal ability was just uh, astonishing. You know, to see little Stevie Wonder doing fingertips part two. I mean, uh, James Brown, to see James Brown was a religious experience back in the day. Uh, it was uh, one of the greatest educations, you know, that one could have. And and that's what inspired me to, uh, you know, continue to pursue this. And the, the dream was always, if I could be associated with them in any capacity, um, it would be, you know, an honor and uh, and to properly represent them. Yeah, as to what kind of talent they were. 
I'm tweeting out pictures of <laughs> of that stuff because that is that is really great and yeah. it's historical, but it's important because it also shows as much as the industry has changed over the last even 15 mm-hmm. years, it's still very much the same. I mean, the, the, one of the characteristics <clears throat> you bring up of getting to know the fans and having that direct relationship yeah. with the fans, even as a club DJ, is so important for the Danny Spadaros of the world who have to have that special relationship with their fans if they're going to get anywhere. The biggest difference, I think, today is while it's easier to communicate with larger groups of people because of technology, I think we've lost a little bit of what I call the high-touch factor. And there's this... Yeah, there was a term I heard very, very uh, early on about high tech, high touch, and I think our era was more high touch. You you were in communication with people. It was verbal. It was eye contact. It was a handshake. It's much more personal. Personal. Much more yeah. personal, and, yeah. and it, those relationships have sustained over the years. Whereas today, um, not to say that they're superficial, but I think that the interactive aspect of the relationships are more. You know, their Facebook and Twitter and, and things like that. You know, we, yeah. uh, it's not so, it's not as personal. And, uh, and for whatever reason, the conversation isn't as fulfilling. I think. We, we kind of, um, we were talking about it a little bit, uh, outside of the studio that it doesn't matter if 40 years ago, 50 years ago today, the one thing that uh, that we need to do is network. Just yeah. network and get to know people because those people know people, and that's how uh, and that's how you get you know the, the jobs as a disc jockey or or a, a yeah. job at at Columbia Records. Yeah. What can, can we skip ahead then? Because he, yeah. he just brings something up that's that's really important to probably where you are today, and it ties in everything that you've done ever since that time, which is the value and importance of networking. Mm-hmm. Because, again, as Philip said, before the show started, we were just out there talking, and you were talking about how what a small world is. it is. When you were starting out and when you were working with Chrysalis, when you were with Columbia, even afterwards when you were starting your own company, were you thinking about how important it was to get to know people and never burn bridges and, and stay in touch? Well, perfect example of that, if you look at Chrysalis, for instance, I shared an office with a fellow named Daniel Glass. And who now is owns Glass Note Records, which is probably one of the hottest independent labels in the business. Uh, they just had the number one album in the country with Mumford and Sons. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Daniel has done a masterful job of uh, navigating his career, you know, through starting out in promotion. Well, actually, we, we met during the dance days. He was actually uh, working for his future father-in-law at Sam Records. So we met as DJs. Record promoters from the club side. We knew all the, we knew all the club spinners. We knew all the record pools around the country, and then Daniel moved on into the, uh, the record business side, and he knew of my experience uh, as an independent promoter, and encouraged me to come in and learn again, get a broader perspective of the music business. So we literally shared an office uh, at that time. Greg Thompson, who's now a general manager at Capitol Records, was part of our Chrysalis team. Uh, Jerry Blair, who uh, you know became uh, uh, the senior vice president of promotion at Columbia Records, was part of our team back then. Um, Charlie Walk, I met uh, mm-hmm. originally as an intern. We were just talking up, about up, him uh, up at yeah. a Republic, yeah, at a Boston branch. Uh, he was uh, he was an intern originally up there, 
And uh, Charlie's gone on to be the president of Epic Records, and now he's uh, the VP, the uh, VP uh, of Republic. Rep- Republic. Yeah. And uh, it's crazy because uh, yeah. I got to meet him when he brought Taylor Swift to Z100. Yeah, and um, and I had no idea that you had a history with him like yeah. that. And I, I was editing up the um, Alyssa uh, Pollock. Pollock, Alyssa Pollock, yeah. Alyssa Pollock. Uh, I think it was Alyssa Pollock. I don't remember who it was, but they were saying that you have to be, you have to treat everybody the same way. Yeah. It doesn't matter if he or she's an intern or the president of the record label, because that intern could one day become the president of the record label it's it's interesting because there's so many and again i always for me and one of the lessons i feel if you know i always like to call them limbo lessons you know it's a very political business and and they're you know and everybody kind of for whatever reason we sort of focus on negative aspects of things i always saw the good in people always see the good side of people and and the positive aspects of what they did and that's what you you know you zero in on and uh, you know, continue to uh, again continue those relationships in a very positive way, and uh, it's amazing how they uh, they come full circle. And it could be somebody that I met two weeks ago at MusicBiz.org in Nashville, who's a new friend that suddenly an opportunity presents itself, or it could be somebody who I work with at Columbia Records, which is now uh, I left there in 1997. That's 18 years ago. I've had my own business since leaving the corporate side. Uh, the, the Columbia stuff still comes back. Uh, Chrysalis relationships come back. And even my disco days still come full circle uh, because of the impact I had at that time. And those relationships have sustained over the years. I paid a visit to some friends I have at Atlantic Records mm-hmm. back in January. And we went down to the Warner Brothers floor. And I walked down the floor. And when you talk about I, I bump into three people who I worked with at various times, who I haven't worked with in 13, 14 years. Yeah. And there they are in, in their offices, you know, uh, Chris Walsh and this guy Mitch Ember and Steve Corbin, who's been on the show. Oh, Steve. And, I yeah. love Steve. Yeah. And, and, Steve and, was and, down in Nashville. So oh, yeah, Steve yeah, it's great. We're actually, um, we had Jim Donio, who's the president of the Music Business Association. He was on the show a few weeks ago. We were talking all about the convention. Great convention, by the way. I want to encourage anybody who's listening, if you have the opportunity, in all likelihood, they will go back to Nashville next year. They had record-setting attendance, and I want to tell you the particip- what surprised me because I've been to hundreds of conferences over the years. The participation at these conferences, at the, the various meetings, was two double two to three times the capacity of the room. That's how many people were in those rooms, you know, willing to, coming in to listen to what was being said. What were some of the topics? What were some of the best uh, um, forums you went well, to? Well, as you know, you know, since they've evolved from the National Association of Retail Merchandisers into a broader-based curriculum now, musicbiz.org, it covers virtually every aspect of the business now. So um, I'd say heavy on social media. There was a lot of, a lot of, a lot of social media things that were going on. Um, you know, the monetization of the business, how we're, how are we going to make money, you know, going mm-hmm. forward? And we from, talk, from the social media, from the, from social the digital, media, yeah. from the Spotify's yeah, and the Pandora's, yeah. there was a lot of discussions about that. Um, uh, but, but again, I think ultimately, uh, you know, the one underlying factor was again, that we are only going to succeed if we work together, if we, you know, get together and work out all of these, uh, different issues and, uh, the, the, just judging again from the active participation and the number of participants, the future of the business is definitely insured. There's, there's a tremendous amount of talent out there. There's remarkable new innovations coming that are completely head spinning. Um, 
whatever is happening today, I guarantee you tomorrow morning there will be breaking news about something new and innovative. So you have to, uh, again, it goes back to my thing, uh, welcome to the business you're never going to graduate from because <laughs> it's a mm-hmm. continued learning yeah. process. Well, wow. That touches back on uh, George Dassinger who said it's not um, – uh, he said it, it, it's about making headlines. It's about making news because he was talking about uh, about publicity and, and promotions. And mm-hmm. then he, he said it doesn't matter about the music anymore. If you make the headlines, yeah. people listen to what you what you have, what you what you want to yeah. put out, which was I thought very interesting. Yeah, you got to get noticed. In other yeah. words, you could be the most talented and gifted person out there, but if nobody knows about it, um, so it still comes back to uh, you, you still need promotion and marketing. Uh, you're going to need the uh, uh, the analytics, so social media and streaming numbers are all going to play a part in the future, combined with you know airplay, however you get it, whether it's on terrestrial radio, satellite radio, internet radio, podcasts, you, you get mentions on blogs and things of that nature. It's it's all going to be part of the process, and it's not one size fits all. I think you have to customize the template, uh, you know, to the specific talent. Yeah, we're going to customize some public service announcements real quick. And then when we come back, we're actually going to talk a little bit more about your specific business model as a music business consultant. And then we're going to talk about your work with uh, Caitlin Caparelli Caparelli from The Voice and get into Danny, who was also on The Voice. And um, Yeah, I want to compare notes. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk about that. And then, uh, so that's coming up on Music Biz 101 and more. We will be right back. Keep listening to Ally Mack Project. The world is ours because the world is yours, young people. Loving you very much. We'll be right back. How can I make money in the music business? Why copyright? Should I make a CD anymore? Trying to break into the music and entertainment biz? Wondering how the business works? Wondering how guys like Elton John and MC Hammer go bankrupt? Why am I not making any cash? Tune in to WP Brave New Radio every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Hang with the university's music business faculty hosts, me, Steve Marconi. And me, Dave Phil. Plus, we'll have industry guests and students from the music management program. How do I get gigs down at the shore? Call in with your questions and hear the latest in industry happenings. How do I get my music on iTunes? How do I get on a tour? It's Music Biz 101 and more every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Only on WP Brave New Radio. Your secretary's got our checks, right? Mine's direct deposit, I think. (laughs) If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Something to say, Philip Golachowski, producer of Music Biz 101 and more, which you're listening to on Brave New Radio. 
In Espanol, they call it brave, don't they? Or do we just say bravo as in bravo, Philip? Good job. I like that one better. Yeah, very yeah, you, good. You guys yes. really, um, what were you guys doing here? Because I kind of left the studio for a second. I'm playing, going to... Uh, playing cards. Yeah, I'm going to send out a tweet with pictures of uh, uh, Jerry Lembo, our guest, music business consultant Jerry Lembo of LemboEntertainment.com, brought in a bunch of laminates from all these shows he's been to ever since... What, what do you think the oldest one there was? You had some from... Uh, uh, sports, which is 83. Yeah. Was that one of these? 83, 84, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And he, he brought in all these laminates, so I've taken pictures of them, <laughs> and I'm going to uh, tweet out these uh, these pictures so you guys can see. 83, I think, was sports. Yes, The only 83. reason I remember that is because from American Psycho, that one scene where he breaks up, where he breaks down Huey Lewis in the news. That was off of his album Four. That was hip to be square. Oh, that's right. Actually, no, he goes, but when he puts out when he put out Sports in '83, like I, th- I think that I don't know for some reason I have that in my head. That's to- that's totally I could fine. Be, you know what? I have a lot of things in my head and a lot of voices too. <laughs> yeah, kind of bothers me sometimes. So uh, it's it's hard. I will finish the tweet in a moment because I can't tweet and speak at the same time. Um, and I did find out, and I already forgot the name. Who. Uh, our, our, our student co-host, uh, Danny Spadaro, Adrian Zemed. You ever heard of that name? No. Who's that? I want you to. A, I'm going to tell you. Adrian right. Zemed <laughs> was uh, one of the stars of Grease Two. Okay. And that's who oh, you look like, cool. Adrian Zemed. If you look up Adrian Zemed here, um, I'm going to also then tweet out a picture. Yeah. Do the uh, do like the, the the pick frame thing. So you have yes. a half. Oh, yeah. yeah half, so I'm going to get a picture of you Adrian and then a picture the of side. Adrian yeah, yeah. Zemed, and all the girls are just going to go bananas, which is good for them because they need their potassium. You know, I I, I saw him on uh, Instagram, and I thought he, I thought he looked a lot like uh, Zach Matari too, kind of that, uh, especially in some of the pictures on Instagram. Oh, my friend uh, Danny Spadaro yeah. over here, yeah, right. looks, looks a lot like Zach Matari, and especially the black and white pictures where they're shirtless and with the guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Looks yeah our, 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 why do we, we always have Zach these attack. men who come in uh, topless? Well, you, yeah, you're, 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 and I'm the one asking the, the men. So so good, good for me. Good for me. I'm just trying to spread the wealth there. All right, so we got our good friend Jerry Lumbo, and give Jerry one more big. Very good, Jerry Lumbo. Okay, so we have Jerry here. So we've been talking about your gig as a music business consultant. All we've talking talking about all your experience, which brought you to the ability to be the consultant. Basically, you're helping the Danny Spaderos of the world, the unsigned artists out there become something you're helping them organize their careers so they have some direction and focus correct yes and 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 remember like we started remember we've had a lot of consolidation in the business we went from six majors down to three and as a result uh you know there's been a lot of downsizing of the roster so you have uh you know an abundance of artists that uh, no longer have that infrastructure and they need some assistance in terms of just you know, just general guidance and advice, and helping to team build, which is you know probably the biggest priority that uh, you know when we sit down with anybody is to discuss uh, who the support system is going to be, and a lot of that obviously you know is going to be predicated on budget. You know what can one afford, and uh, I know we're going to talk a little bit about the voice, and and uh, you know we'll talk about some of the things that the talent shows provide behind the scenes that sort of give you a peek at what that support system would look like. And uh, it's great, you know, it's a great experience until you're no longer part of the uh, show. Right. And then you you lose a support system. You lose a support system. So what does it look like? The support system. Well, I, you know, I'd be, I'd like to hear Danny's perspective. Okay. First, All right. Want. Let's go to Danny Spadaro, yeah. <laughs> who was a contestant on which season with the, was this of The Voice? Like season eight. eight. This the was one season that just eight. Yeah. Are we just finished? Yeah. Who won? 
Sawyer Frederick. Sawyer Frederick. Sawyer Fredericks. Deservedly Fredericks, so. Okay. Yeah. Sawyer Fredericks oh, one. Okay. Yeah. Um, explain, Danny. Start from zero. Okay. How you got the audition, how you got in front of them. Walk us through as if we are Martians and don't even know what the voice is. Talk us through how you got to where you got. Okay. Um, so I wasn't planning on auditioning at all. This happened last June. I was accompanying my friend Emma Brooke. She's a singer-songwriter. She was auditioning. I was just playing acoustic guitar. Um, so we went to the... It was a private audition in the city. Um, the casting company was McNulty Casting. And I was playing guitar for her audition. And How she did she find out about this private audition? Sorry to interrupt. She got that hooked up through um, an artist mentor and vocal coach named Zook Smith. Who's Zook? A great, Zook Smith. That's yeah. a great name oh, right yeah. there. Great name. The Zook man. Zook, okay. yeah. She's, um, she lives in West Milford, and she's an incredible um, music business mentor and uh, vocal coach. That's Zook Smith. Zook Smith. She's a woman. She's a woman, okay. yeah. Her real name is Deborah. Okay. Deborah Zook Smith. Okay. Um, yeah, she's great. So she hooked up Emma with a producer um, for the show. So she got a private audition, and I was just playing guitar for the audition. And after Emma got through to the next round, the casting director, Michelle, just asked me, like, do you sing? Like, do you do anything other than playing guitar? And I was like, yeah, I sing, but I wasn't really planning on auditioning. And basically, she, she convinced me to audition, and I did it, and I ended up getting through. Um, this is this had happened a couple times before in previous seasons, but I never got the call to go out to L.A. for the executive producer round. So, um, you know, it happened and I was like, all right, cool. You know, this has happened before, but still it's great. And then um, in July, I went to Nashville with my cousin Eric Perrin, who's also a singer-songwriter. We stayed there for two weeks and uh, we were getting ready to perform at a little pub down there. And I got a call from a producer, and they said they wanted to fly me out to L.A. So I was, like, totally ecstatic about that. We ended up actually missing our set time at the gig that we were getting ready for because I had to stay on the phone with the producer and talk to her. <laughs> it's kind of funny. But, um, yeah, so I, that happened, and then got back from Nashville, had a great time, and then five days later I was flown out to L.A., um, where I had uh, – that. yeah, that was the executive producer round. So I auditioned for – uh, Mark Burnett was in the room and a bunch of uh, the vocal coach, Trelawney Rose and uh, Paul Merkovich, the band leader, all, you know, incredible, incredibly talented people. Um, and I got through that round and then I got that phone call two weeks later. And then in September, they flew me out again. And this is when, you know, you do uh, wardrobe fittings, rehearsals, a couple band rehearsals, um, a lot of filmed B-roll with producers and interviews and uh, just kind of all that behind-the-scenes stuff, um, preparing you for the blind audition, which is you know your debut on the show. And that was at that point they were still narrowing it down to it was probably at like a hundred people or a little over a hundred people. And then went home for a little bit and then came back had uh, had the blind audition. Unfortunately, I didn't get through the blind audition, but I got to have the blind audition, which was amazing. So I got to talked to Pharrell, Adam Levine, Blake Shelton, and Christina Aguilera. Uh, amazing experience. It was at Universal Studios. There's a full, full studio audience. Um, it, it was just, you know, once in a lifetime thing. And I, I didn't get through, but it, it, it was out of my comfort zone. But I'm happy it was because it was, you know, it was a great learning experience. And that's, that's what happened. And from the day that you did not get 
past the blind audition to when there was a time then you weren't allowed to talk about it for a really long right. time, right? Right. What was that about? I guess did you have to sign a uh, I want to say prenup, a uh, yeah, non disclosure agreement? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah there is a contract confidentiality. Yeah, confidentiality yeah. agreement. Why? Definitely. Why did they have you do that? And how? What was the distance between then and when you could actually? start talking about it this my actual audition was the end of october 2014 and then the season uh started airing in i think january late january or february um so in between that time i just kind of had to keep it on the dl that you know i auditioned but not tell anyone if i made it onto a team or not just kind of you know, not really tell people and people were asking because i took the semester off from school i was going back and forth from LA, I spent probably like six weeks in LA total, so it was hard to keep it a secret. But um, I did, and and uh, I eventually they showed me. Actually, on the very first episode of the season, they showed me within the first five minutes. I probably got like five seconds of airtime, <laughs> which was great, you know. Um, but I yeah, I didn't get on a team, but it was cool that they showed me, you know, briefly. And when you got to speak with Christina and Pharrell and and Blake and Adam. I'm, I'm on a first name basis with all of them, by the way, so don't worry <laughs> about it. When you got to speak with them all, what what kind of conversations did they did they have with you? And was this all in the in the back room? And they said, "Hey, man, here's why we didn't decide to go with you." What what did they say? No, this was all like them sitting in the chairs and mm-hmm. me standing on stage. Um, after after you finish performing the song, and no one turns around for you, they turn around, their chairs swivel around, and they talk to you. Um, and you know, you never know if it's they're going to end up airing it or not. Sometimes they air people that don't get through, and sometimes they don't. But yeah, I, I got some great advice from them. They said some nice things. I, I think a few of them didn't know the song I did. I did a a pop rock tune by a band called um, Five Seconds of Summer, and a few of them didn't. They didn't know the song, um, but they had some nice things to say. You know, Adam was like, "When I was your age, I definitely you know wasn't as good as you, so keep." keep working on it, you know, keep doing your thing, keep growing. So that was nice to hear. Um, they all had, you know, nice things to say. Just keep doing it. And, uh, you know, don't get discouraged from one no. You're going to be told no a thousand times before you get that one yes that changes everything. Interesting. So. And it, so you, you thought it was an awesome experience. And even though you missed a semester of school and now you're graduating six months later, yeah. are you, are you right. glad you did it? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I'm a music student and, you know, music and entertainment, it's like you can get the college degree and it's a good thing to have on your resume. It's a good thing to tell people. But like we were saying before, it's networking, it's pursuing every opportunity that comes your way. And this was definitely an opportunity that I couldn't pass up. And a a cool thing that you did do afterward is on your LinkedIn profile, you do have quite a bit of information about the voice because (laughs) that really is invaluable, I would say, experience. I mean, you were on camera, you were on TV, you got a taste of the record business that 99.9% of of performers never get. And like we were talking about how, how Jerry... Um, sort of uh, transitioned in his in his life. I mean, this is just a, a side of the business. If you look at people like um, the guy who runs uh, uh, Sony Music Entertainment now, he used to be on uh, X Factor. Yeah, um, Simon. Not Simon. Simon Cowell? No, the the, the, the guy who uh, posts Simon X Factor. 
here. Factor. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Who who was it? Um, he was uh, a songwriter with uh, Babyface, LaFace. Oh, he was L.A. Uh, Reed. L.A. Reed. Thank Reed. you. He was that, the yeah. Allah. Yeah. Uh, L.A. Reed. Great Reed. article yeah. <laughs> in a Billboard magazine about a week ago. Great interview nice. with him. And he came up as a songwriter, as right. a performer, and now he's running one of the biggest. He's running Epic Records. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Getting right back mm-hmm. to Jerry. Yeah. He yeah. runs Epic Records now. Um, he used to run. Um, Island, Island Jeff Dam and and, and, yeah, and, and Arista, exactly. Yeah. So he's been where you are, but he's also done a whole lot of other stuff. So that experience is something that you'll be able to carry with you, not just as a performer, but also beyond, you know? Right, exactly. Now, now Jerry, yeah. you worked with uh, Caitlin... Caitlin. Caparelli. Caparelli. I always want to say corporal, but uh, she should be a general by now. But Caitlin Caparelli, explain what you did with Caitlin, how how you got involved with her, and then where that process went. Well, I was, uh, you know, I have had frequent opportunities to be a judge at various uh, talent shows. And there was a local show called uh, Your Lucky Break, which was taped at Empire City Casino. And it was uh, uh, shown on W. Uh, what's the WLNY, the mm-hmm. uh, Long Island station, aired it every Sunday, and we would tape during the week. And I had uh, I had taped some of the preliminary rounds, and then I taped uh, both finals for the first year and the second year. In the second year of the competition, Caitlin was one of the contestants. Uh, she made it down to the finals, and there were three judges, and it was based on a, a point system. I voted Caitlin a 10, thought she should win it. Uh, my fellow judges outpointed me by like one or two points. So she was the runner up. Uh, we got in touch. We stayed, you know, we got in touch later on and uh, had a conversation. And I uh, signed on as her, as a consultant to help guide her to the next step. In other words, uh, how could she take that experience and further develop her career? And basically, Caitlin had previously participated in probably eight, nine, or ten different competitions over the years. And she either won, placed second, was top five, consistently was all around it. Um, So I knew the potential was there. And her voice is... Technically, it was right on right on the money. There was uh, what she may have lacked was just the performing experience and uh, the lack of original material. But so along the way, part, as we would we would have our weekly conversations about you know what she does, amazing covers that go up on YouTube. We do that on a consistent basis to try to build up our social media uh, numbers and. Along the way, something similar came up. I had, from my friends in the industry, said um, I had been talking about them, and they said, uh, "Would you like to get a private audition?" And I said, "Absolutely." And we arranged for her to have a private audition as well. I'm not going to mention who because then we'd be inundated with uh, people trying to, you know, get to these people. But it but, wasn't Zook. You kind of bypass the, you know, the, the the lines at the open auditions. Caitlin went yeah. there. Which, and, by the way, goes back to your networking. Exactly. You know, to an incredible skill that yes. you have yes. been able to get. Because, Sorry. again, tr- yeah. the, the ability for them to trust you and say, like, you know, I, it's not like I'm going to call them every week and say, hey, I got the next big thing. It's 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 a rarity. But this I felt confident in Caitlin's abilities that she, she would shine in this setting. And she did. After that, technically, I'd like to say my work is done. Because after that, it's really Caitlin. It's up to her 
you know, to perform, which he did exceptionally well. Uh, and and interesting, as Danny pointed out, the process, and this is, again, where you find out is someone really, truly committed to this. Because that process started, I believe, in July for us. And if you take it all the way through the end of the show, it's about a 10-month commitment out of your life. Now, if you have a day job, you've got to get time off. You're traveling back and forth. If you, you know, Caitlin's based in, in uh, uh, on the East Coast, so she had to fly cross-country probably a dozen times over the course of, uh, of the process. You, you get sequestered, if you will, for long periods of time where you can't talk. That you, you're off social media, and if you're, you know, you're used to tweeting every day and posting on Facebook, suddenly you're gone. And uh, you, you know you completely, can't, or is it just about about the contest? Uh, about everything, you're off. Wow. You're pretty much because you can't make a mistake. You can't put anything on there that you know it's it's sort of like a spoiler alert because yeah. someone's going to figure out like what's going on. So you have to stay, uh, you know, pretty much off social media. And uh, the upside of all this is that while you're out there, again, you're getting the benefit of. Some of the best musicians. They have an amazing band, as you know. You got stylists. You got um, uh, coach. Look uh, now. Let's get to her audition process. When she came out, uh, her blind audition. And remember, they overbook obviously because they got to make sure that each coach has the ability to secure five contestants. By the time Caitlin came out for her audition. Uh, Adam and Christina's teams were complete. So their buttons now are deactivated. They can't turn around. She doesn't know this. So she's coming out on a blind audition. Unbeknownst to her, there's only two judges that can hit their buttons. So her chances of getting anywhere are 50% 50%. less than the person who went first. So Pharrell had an opening and Blake had openings, and they were the only two that could turn. Fortunately, they both turned, and she went with Pharrell. So she made Team Pharrell on the blind auditions. Her first, oh, the song that she sang for the blind audition, she's she's a huge Christina Aguilera fan. So obviously in her mind she's going, why isn't Christina turning around? <laughs> and Christina's pounding her button, which you know, because she knows it's her song and wants to hit the button but can't turn the chair. Did you help her with the song choice? Uh, this is that's another interesting sidebar to the conversation. I'm very you know keen on song selection because I think that plays a big part in. How you get over? Well, you you would make the playlist when you were on air, and that's what you sent yeah. out. So yeah. you selected so, all those songs. So I would either Caitlin would make a list, and then I would you know go through it and try to help her filter through and say these out of those ten, I think these are your best choices. And it's kind of a give and take because the show will get, provide a list, and then you can supplement that to some degree. Uh, but ultimately, you know whether the show picks it or the artist picks it. It's still very critical, you know, because again, you got to remember who you're playing to. You're playing to the people who are going to vote, as well as you know the, the the coaches. And while she did, here's the upside to her doing a Christina Aguilera song. Christina recognized it right away, although she couldn't turn around, and she went with Pharrell as her coach. Christina got out of her chair and said, "Come over here," and pulled Caitlin over, this was on live, pulled her over, sat her in next to her, and they sang the song as together. They traded off, and Caitlin went note for note with her. Hmm. So it was, again, 
you talk about having that moment that is now captured um, you know, for the public's consumption, and now you have that as part of your little That's your electronic press yeah, kit or exactly. whatever. Yes. You know, it was an amazing moment. The downside, in my opinion, now was that the song that she picked, although Christina recognized it, was not a Christina hit. So I felt that ultimately it was not going to connect, even though that moment was magical in one respect. You're still looking at and you got to remember what they do also they record those songs and put them on iTunes so sales becomes a big factor in the whole production process of the show they may not publicly state that that is a factor but you know that the record company and the producers of the show want to see who's selling through right so the bigger the sales result is the next day and the more commercial the song is or more identifiable to the audience is a big advantage so it was a great moment for caitlin but the song so let's just say it sold modestly her second was the battle round could i ask you a quick question sure. just, just yeah. still up from the business side of it and yeah. then we'll go right back in yeah um, at, so at this point she has a singles deal you could say right. i mean because she's oh, yeah. the recording artist so yeah. she did earn she would, uh, unless she, she, does she, do you know if she's getting in advance or anything to record this? Because she must be earning something unless she got some sort of advance. I would think, no, I, I don't think there's an advance. And I think that uh, because you, you're, you're technically you're under agreement with Universal Republic. Mm -hmm. That's the label who secures the, uh, the artists that go to the finals. Right. Uh, until they release you from that contract. And as far as what you, you what your percentage of an iTunes download is, I'm sure that it's it's minimal right. unless you're selling an extraordinary amount of music, mm -hmm. which Sawyer was Sawyer from the get go. To me, he was wire to wire. The first time I saw him, I felt he had, he was the total package. He he was unique. He had a, an identifiable image. He had an appeal that would appeal to the young girls who were 16 and just thought he was cute. And he, there was this thing that mothers and grandmothers loved him. They wanted to, like, you know, cuddle him. You know, right. he was that kind of cute. And and the kid at 16, I'm going, it was really good. He knew who he was, and he stuck with that from wire to wire. He didn't change. He didn't divert and try to be something that he wasn't. He stayed with it all the way through. And it sold through big time. And he, he got the votes every week. He came through. And again, this is why I say song selection is so critical. Uh, in the battle round, um, which was a duet with um, uh, Briar Jonay, I think her name is pronounced, uh, they did a duet, and they did an Alicia Keys song, Fallen, which was very familiar. Uh, Caitlin got put through. Briar didn't get put through. In the knockout round, she decided to do a Demi Lovato song, Warrior, again, uh, was not a big hit for Demi. Caitlin nailed it. I mean, she did a great job on the song. My concern, again, was that the lack of familiarity. Was she picking this in a vacuum, or who was helping her make this choice? She wasn't I can't. Anyway. I can't say for sure, but I have a feeling that uh, that might have been some influence from the show, mm -hmm. from there the producers. Is, you mean. From the producers, yeah, and whether the, you know whether it's the producers or Pharrell, or or whether. There was a multiple choice, and she said, "Oh, I I like this song, and I know I can do it well." Mm -hmm. But again, I you know I think bigger picture. If I, if I were there to coach, I would say, 
pick another song. You know, that's just my opinion, but, you know, it, it is what it is. And, but she got through there, and then in the knockout round, she did a Beyonce song. Again, not one of Beyonce's top tens, and that was the week that uh, I think really, you know, was as far as we were going to go at that point. Because when it got down to Pharrell, he had to pick between her and uh, uh, Corinne. Uh, oh, yeah. Corinne Hawthorne. Yeah. And he went with Corinne. And so that was uh, where she got eliminated. But as far as the experience, amazing. You can you couldn't buy that. I mean, it would cost you, if you were to collectively get the experience, it would probably, literally, if I had to put a number on it, I'd say you're talking probably $100,000 worth of experience that you couldn't buy. You had Pharrell as your coach. You had Lionel Richie as a mentor. You got to meet all these amazing people behind the scenes. Um, the the publicity machine that they have at NBC and The Voice was amazing. The residual publicity alone was probably worth six figures because they set up interviews. If you go online now and look for Caitlin, it's not going to be hard to find her now. She's all, and it's all top-notch, great quality great stuff. Great quality stuff. Yeah. And... Uh, and I and again, I, you know, one of the things I said is stay close to you know again, because you're the hometown favorite. Whether even though you're off the show, you can sustain that momentum. And she's been judging a contest on one of the local radio stations, and she got added to uh, what's called K Fest, uh, which is one of the stations in the area, uh, being held at Duchess Stadium on Sunday, June seventh. And she's an extra added attraction along with Robin Thicke. Um, Flo Rida, Charlie XCX, uh, Natalie LaRose, Walk the Moon, Jake Miller, Katie Tiz, Andy Grammer. Uh, I mean, those Lunch, are all huge Lunch names. Money Lewis, mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah, she's yeah. on the bill. Wow. So cool. And it's funny because we also, from speaking in New Jersey, uh, the American Idol this season, there was a girl, Jax. Jax. J A X, exactly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who made it to three. She top three? Top yeah. three. And so she didn't win. But she's, again, somebody, and it's an interesting question to ask you and also Danny. So yeah. you have, okay, this six, maybe seven-figure amount of machine that right. just was behind you. What, what's the plan next, you know? Well, that's, that's the thing. See, this is what happens is, and I've worked with idol contestants and contestants from these other shows, they get released from this contract. Once they say, thanks very much, we're done, and you're released, now you're out on your own, and you've got to... Create, recreate that support system. It's it's kind of a blessing and a curse. In other words, it's the, it's great that you got that behind the scenes look and saw what what it's like to be an A list type you know artist. Now you've got to kind of recreate that, and uh, that's that's the challenge. So, do you do a Kickstarter campaign? Do you go find a venture capitalist? Do you get a rich uncle? I mean, you know, you, you got to find somebody who can now provide the the resources to replicate the experience that you just had. And every once in a while, uh, a, a Catherine McPhee, or yeah. I'm trying to think of some others who were top six, top seven in some of these shows, who were able to even Jennifer transition. Hudson. Yeah, they yeah. transitioned into other media. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Daughtry was 
Dozier was third. I think. He was third. Yeah, you know, I think he was third. So, so some of the, you know some of these people have been able to uh, turn it into something. So yeah. that's well, it's usually it's usually not the first, not the winner of the contest that does the best. Okay. Like Adam Lambert, I think Chris Allen won that year for, yes. for American Idol. Yeah. Adam and, and, and then Adam well, yeah. Adam Lambert's done really well. Um, so I think, as you mm-hmm. said, Jerry, it's it's uh, speaking to the people who are voting, right. not to the judges. Yeah. If the yeah. people right. if the people like you, they'll yeah. they'll buy your music. They'll listen to you. Which is where perform stage performance comes in. And again, some people can be technically great singers, uh, but you know, as I was showing you those programs before, when you went to see these shows, these people were trained to perform. The people who came out of that Motown building from Barry Gordy were trained how to look, how to present themselves, the choreography, their vocal ability. Uh, so the performance aspect is really what is going to help you sustain a career, along with originality. You know, in other words, you, that was the other thing. Is in other words, most of the time you're on there performing someone else's songs. So now, you know, you've got to come up with either you're either a writer who can write your own material, or if you're fortunate enough to get picked up by the label, they're going to bring in the heavy guns and make sure they write a hit. You know, they're going to bring in three, four, five producers, songwriters, right. and guarantee that this person gets a shot. And they will guarantee it. Oh yeah. 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 Otherwise, so it won't go out. You have somebody like uh, what's his name, uh, Max Martin, I think, who writes. Yeah. Uh, um, who wrote like, Yeah, he, he wrote. Um, what was it? Shake it off, and, yeah. and all these big yeah. songs. Yeah, they'll they'll make sure that that yeah. uh, that, that you're heard. Yeah. yeah. If they, if they're gonna if they're gonna keep you on the contract, you can assure that you're gonna get the best of everything to to give you a real shot. So this is something that that's good for you in that you know when we talk about the marketing, yeah. it's, it's obviously you can now say I worked with Caitlin Caparelli. Mm-hmm. Did I say it right this time? Yeah. Okay, K- Caitlin Caparelli, who was yeah. what she make top eight something or was uh, it top? Well, 10? she was in the top twenty. Top and they, uh-huh. the week she she was in the top twenty when they cut it down to twelve in one week they eliminated eight people. Oh, in so one she week. was one of those eight yeah. who got eliminated. Okay, yeah. but you could you know. But she got invited back, as you know, and the they brought everybody back on the the for the finals. Right. So she was invited back. She was appeared on the final show, and uh, so she got that additional exposure. And again, theoretically, I mean, you could say. She was one of the five finalists on Pharrell's team, which is, you know, again, another nice. Uh, mm-hmm. And and technically, she would have been the fourth. She was down to the, it was one already eliminated. So she was one of the final four on Pharrell's team before. So, so I would think if I'm her that, OK, she's wherever she is right now, but she had all that. There have got to be lots of people coming to her out yeah. of the woodwork Absolutely. saying that I am. Mm-hmm. I'm just like Jerry Lumbo. I'm a music business consultant. Come here, kid. Let yeah. me tell you. How can somebody like Danny, who mm-hmm. you know, who did get on TV and who's who's done it, to to Caitlin, to all these, you know, uh, there are lots of. If you count it up, there are hundreds of American Idol and and Voice and all these people who didn't win but got you know some time. How can they tell who the real deal is, meaning you, and who somebody who now who's really just reaching into their pocket and just trying to make a quick buck? How, how can they tell? What should they ask? Because you're not yeah. a manager, right. right? You're just helping. You're like helping package, like you right. said. Um, how do they know to deal with you and to trust you versus someone else? Well. It, I'd say it's a combination of either re, you know qualified references or or so, it's a gut feel. It's you have to sit down and and see what someone has to say. And to me, it's it's about the emotional connection. The, you know, are you really emotionally committed to it? 
uh, you can get a dozen people who are good promotion people who can work out deals or whatever to get things done. But at the end end of it, is the substance going to be there? Is it going to be the qualitative? Are you going to get that qualitative result? Uh, you know, people can wheel and deal and, and do all kinds of shenanigans probably to get favors. But uh, hypothetically, let's just say uh, if someone says, oh, I can guarantee you airplay and it winds up on certain radio stations uh, in the overnights, you know, between midnight and six. Uh, if that's all I could accomplish, if, in other words, if I said that's the best I can do, then it's up to you to decide whether or not it's worth it to you you know, to, to want that, that kind of result. Uh, personally, uh, I feel that if I can't make a difference, I'm going to pass. I'm just going to, I'm just going to say, I'm not the right guy for this project. Uh, that's my, always been my thing is I have, I feel I have to have the ability to make a difference. And you must have a lot of people who you say no to, because I'm sure oh. there are lots of even parents who are saying, hey, I have my daughter here yeah. who's, you just, Jerry, yeah. Jerry, uh, Jerry, listen to her, uh, Jerry. This girl's great, Jerry. And then you hear her. And, uh, My rejection rate is exceeds 95%. Yeah. Let's put it that way. It really Because it comes down to this. The reality is, once if you've done it long enough, you know what the percentages are and what the odds are. And it's not, it, it hasn't gotten any less expensive to, to, you know, to do all the things that are necessary. Uh, if you're going to compete with the major labels, you, you need a bank and, uh, to, you know, to support any kind of a campaign. And uh, I would say my rejection rate is probably as high as 98%. Mm-hmm. So it's it gets down to 2%, and that's based on qualifying, you know, looking at the plan and saying, is this acceptable to you? This is the result I think I can achieve. And that's your call. Ah, so okay. it seems like it's, it's about having a support system, whether it's the voice or whether it's somebody like Jerry Lembo, and making connections, networking, and not burning any bridges. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. Am I the only one on this? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, may I ask who's calling? Yes. Exactly. Um, well, that's great. Uh, I think that was some great information. This is Philip. Since this is the last show What's you've that? ever you're ever going to do with us, unless somehow um, we find Jerry's rich uncle, he needs to start paying you to do this with us. Um, where does this fall? You've done about forty, fifty shows Probably. with us. Yeah. Is this? What do you think about this particular show? This one? Yeah, in the top 10? The percentiles? Yeah. Um, I would say it's top... Um, I mean, the, the the whole voice thing is, is interesting. We haven't uh, had anything like that. No. I'd say top 25 percentile, which is yeah. not bad. It's pretty yeah, good, I'll no? take it. Which yeah. is, if we've done 40, that's top 10 yeah. shows. Yeah. 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 You uh, went yeah. into percentiles, which I can't understand talk like that. Well, you know, for someone who <laughs> knows nothing about statistics, I sounded pretty smart there. <laughs> you really was because you wear glasses. <laughs> Philip wears right. glasses, you guys. So, okay. Well, Philip Gorachowski, we want to thank you very much for two years of being the most awesome producer ever. Go to Philip's LinkedIn profile and see what I said there. And listen to the Paul Sinclair number 3 podcast, which is going up in about a week, and you'll hear what we said about you That's there. That's right. Thank so, you. Thank you. The pleasure, the pleasure was really all You're right. interrupting. I'm saying your last name. Gorachowski. Philip Gorachowski! Thank you. Thank, thank you. you very much, Philip. We also want to thank Jerry Lembo, our guest of the day, our guest of the year. Jerry yeah. Lembo, music business consultant. Go to LemboEntertainment.com. Find him and see if you can be in the 2% that he says yes to. <laughs> and then we also want to thank Danny Spadera. Danny, how can people find you and see pictures of you? 
uh, at Danny Spadaro on Twitter, Vine, Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, all that. So, okay, that's great. And I'm going to put on our Twitter feed, at MusicBiz101WP, in about 30 seconds, you're going to see a picture of Danny with Zach Matari, former (laughs) guest here, and also Danny with Adrian Zamed, former uh, star of Grease 2, and you're going to tell us who he looks more like. And then hopefully Danny has a, 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 an incredible career ahead of him. So we wish you lots of luck, Danny. Jerry, lots Thank of you. luck to you. Thank you. And uh, I'm so sorry that uh, Dr. Stavon Marconi could not be here tonight, but he wishes all of you uh, the best. And so we but will are be you back. Really sorry. What? Are you really sorry? No, I don't think. I'm so into my myself. This is, the one time, this is one of the few times I've been at school and haven't been sent to the principal's office. <laughs> Which you would have done a number of times. So uh, next week, Donna Eichmeyer of Live Nation. We have a whole summer of great stuff coming. We will be back live on September 2nd, 2015. Until then, go to musicbiz101wp.com. Thank you so much for listening. I am David Kirk Philp, your professor on Brave New Radio 88.7, the home of Braveology. And I say to you, for the entire summer, Taking over